in a minute, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2, perhaps the most famous and well-known part of the Christmas narrative, because it is Linus on Charlie Brown's Christmas that quotes from Luke chapter 2. And there were in those days shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Uh, we'll get there in just a minute. I want to talk to you today um, about something I think very relevant, uh, not only to you, uh, but to me, something that is that is a, an ever-constant temptation in our lives. If you're the kind of person that, that wants to pack up Christmas on the 26th of December, you want to make it all go away and disappear into the attic, well, then I may frustrate you a little bit this morning because here we are a week out, and I've chosen to kind of finish this Advent thought uh, before we get into a new year. Next year, we'll do something totally different, then we're going to set off in a brand new series of messages in, in January. But... Um, Advent is an ancient Latin term, and it means coming. And Advent is celebrated in Christ's church because with the coming of Jesus Christ came also hope, peace, joy, and love. The coming of Jesus brought the coming, the embodiment, the reality, the visualization of hope, of peace, of joy, and of love into our darkened world that knows suffering that knows disappointment, loss, frustration, anger, resentment, racism, bitterness, and the likes, Jesus brought what we needed most. Now, several weeks ago, we talked about Joseph, and, and some people are surprised to see the other side of the Christmas narrative when you look through Matthew and Luke's account especially, because in the midst of glad tidings of great joy, we saw in Joseph a great deal of disillusionment. Remember, Joseph had set his life up. Joseph was ready. Joseph had planned and prepared. He was ready to start his family, and his fiancée turned up pregnant. And one thing Joseph knew for sure was that he was not the father. Okay, This was not how things were supposed to go for Joseph. Joseph, in his situation, believed he only had two options to handle this circumstance. And yet, as we saw, God revealed a third, brand new, previously undiscovered option. In fact, there is often another option that we've not considered. The question is, when in the midst of suffering, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of what we'll talk about today, fear, where are you looking? Then we talked about Mary. Man, talk about disappointment. Mary was told that she was highly favored among men. Mary was told that she alone had been chosen to bear the Son of God, the King of Kings. This was going to be a birth like no other, and yet what happened? Well, they arrive at Bethlehem, they can't even find an inn. They can't even find a room. They can't even give birth to the King of Kings indoors. It has to be done outside. Talk about disappointment. One of the things that we tried to bring out when we talked about Mary was that Mary and all of her community thought that their Messiah, this, this centuries-old prophetically promised coming Messiah, was going to save them from Rome. They were looking for a political leader, a military leader. When they thought of a savior, they thought of, 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 of a savior that can save us from Rome's oppression, not sin's oppression. And yet, as we understood, God usually gives us what we need long before he gives us what we want. Uh, that is a tough lesson for many of us to learn. God cares about giving you what you need far more than he cares about giving you what you want. Remember the story in Mark chapter 2? Uh, Jesus is with his disciples, and they're in the home of Peter's mother-in-law. And Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, there are some men that have climbed up on the roof, and they start pulling back the thatch so they can lower their friend on a mat. 
He's paralyzed. He's never walked one day, one step in his life. What's the first thing Jesus says to the paralyzed man on the mat? Get up, walk out of here? No, that's the last thing he said. The first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. Jesus knew what the man needed most, more than he needed legs, more than he needed mobility, more than he needed the self-confidence that comes with a body that is healthy and whole. He needed salvation from his sin. God always gives us what we need before he gives us what we want. And last time, we looked again at these shepherds from Luke chapter 2. The shepherds were nobodies in this culture, and yet God chose to reveal his plan to that group first. Shepherds were outcasts in this culture. Uh, they were dirty, and they smelled like sheep, and, and they were nomadic. They wandered around where the sheep took them. They were not welcome in the temple. They didn't fit in with everyone else, and yet God chose to announce to the shepherds, the least of men, first the coming of his king. We learned that while we say Jesus is the reason for the season, the Christmas narrative actually proves that we, we are the reason for the season. Now, today I want to talk about something that every one of us know. On some level, no matter how big and strong, no matter how powerful, no matter how financially secure you may be, on some level, every one of us knows about fear. Fear. Um, people in our church this past year have gotten difficult, diabolical diagnoses from their doctors. We have men and women in this church who've been told they have a pretty aggressive form of cancer, and they're going to, have to, they're going to be in for the fight of their lives. Uh, my brother-in-law had an illness two weeks ago that, that we thought was going to lead to death. Uh, and, and, and all of us know the grip of fear. There are people in our church who've lost jobs in the past several months. They don't know how, when the money runs out, they're going to be able to pay their bills. Uh, there are parents who are wrestling uh, with maybe an illness in a child, and the fear of the unknown can, can get the, the better of us. Now, when we think of Christmas and we think of glad tidings of great joy and, and look at that picture and there's the baby born in Bethlehem and look at the star and the wise men, this is beautiful. We don't necessarily think of fear. The only time I think of fear and Christmas, I think about when I was a child and my mother would take us to see Santa Claus. And in the weeks building up to seeing Santa Claus... That's all my sister would talk about. You know, she's three or four years old, and it was Santa Claus this and Santa Claus that and Santa Claus this, and I can't wait to tell Santa Claus that. But every photograph we have in our home of, my, of, of me and my sister sitting on Santa's lap, I'm sitting there like a good little boy because I'm going to stay on that nice list, and she is red-faced, screaming bloody murder. Her eyeballs are about to pop out of her head, big snot bubbles coming out of her nose. She's scared to death of the man in the red suit. Everything was fine until they sat her on his lap, and all of a sudden... She was scared out of her wits. She begins wailing like never before. That's the only fear that I've ever associated with Christmas was my sister's fear of Santa Claus. Listen to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. The apostle John wrote, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Now stop for a moment because I think most of us get this. There is no fear in love. The most satisfying married relationship is one in which love drives out fear. When I'm vulnerable before my wife, when she's vulnerable before me, when I trust her, when I put myself out there and I say, okay, here I am, this is, this is all of me, and she accepts me for who I am, that's a very safe place in which to do marriage. Making myself vulnerable actually makes me strong. There is no fear 
in love. When I trust her, she trusts me. The vulnerability working with the trust makes for a very strong marriage relationship. John goes on, the one who fears is not made in perfect love. Now, if you don't know the context of that passage, you can read it later on. It's 1 John chapter 4, and the context there is John is describing God as love. It's the famous verse, God is love. And in it, he, he, he says that love drives out the fear. On the very first Christmas, on the, in the fields outside of Bethlehem, God's angels came to remove the fear, and yet the shepherds were never more fearful. Do you realize that Every time an angel shows up in the Christmas story, the first words out of his mouth are, do not be afraid. Did you know that? Okay. So what I want you to do is get this, you know, fair-haired, blue-eyed, you know, uh, male in a white gown, you know, with wings. Get that image out of your mind. Angels in the Bible are very ominous, imposing figures. Angels in the scripture do battle with demons in the world and for the world. So every time an angel shows up, it wasn't this kind of blue-eyed, blonde-haired, you know, soft-spoken little guy with wings. No, it was something imposing, something ominous, something awful. And every time one shows up, the first words, first thing he has to communicate to people or humans is, do not be afraid. Such is the case in Luke chapter 2 when the angels appear to the shepherds. Uh, let's pick up where we left off last time. Let's look at verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. Verse 8 says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Again, these were nomadic people. They were not respected in the community. They basically lived with their sheep, and wherever the sheep led them, they followed. Verse 9. And there were shepherds living out in the fields. Verse 9. At, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. There it is. They were terrified. Their first emotional response to the visualization of God's message, which is for peace, glad tidings, great joy. You'll see that in a minute. They're horrified. They're terrified. This imposing, ominous, commanding figure. Do you know the Bible says that in the last days, in the last days, the whole world will fear the return of God because when he comes, he'll be coming as judge and he will reveal himself in his glory and it's going to be an awesome awesome sight. Verse number 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. All right, stop for a minute. I bring you good news. I'm not here to judge you. I bring you good news filled with great joy for to you, even we could translate it to the least of you because that's who the shepherds were. See, God didn't make the announcement to a king. So many people would have been excluded from announcement made solely to the king. Everybody beneath the king would feel unworthy of such an announcement. The king is coming. The king of kings is coming. What if God only chose to give that information to the kings themselves? God started at the bottom and worked his way up. Keep reading. Do not be afraid. Great joy be for all people. Verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. They were very familiar with that word. Hundreds and hundreds of years worth of Old Testament history had pointed them toward the coming of a Savior. Again, they didn't really understand what they were going to be saved from. They assumed it would be Rome. 
He's born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Fear and Christmas. In my opinion, that's a very odd combination. How could anyone be fearful at Christmas? Listen, I'll take it a step further. If you are a sincerely devoted follower of Jesus Christ, how can you ever be fearful at all? You say, well, that's a pretty presumptuous statement, Mike. Well, listen, I didn't make it. The Bible makes it. Do you know how many times in the Old Testament and New Testament the Bible says something like, fear not, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed over and over and over and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times God communicates to man and says very simply, do not be afraid. And yet every one of us, when we're fearful, believes our fear is justified, right? Every one of us, given a certain set of circumstances in a certain situation, believes that, yeah, I'm fearful, but you need to understand because here's my situation. Some people are fearful because they feel stuck. They feel stuck. They're trapped. Some believe that nothing's ever going to change. Come on, God, get with the program. Why can't my life take a turn for the better as opposed to a turn for the worse? John prayed a moment ago, and he said, some of you received 2017. Good riddance. Glad it's over because it was difficult. I hope you're looking for better things in 2018 because God is capable. God is able. Some feel fear, uh, fearful because not only they're stuck, they're, they, they realize they're not in control any longer. Joseph had to feel that way to some degree. Now, some people love control. They feel they're most secure when they feel they have the most control. And as we begin to lose control, as control begins to slip through our fingers, that's when we begin to feel anxious. That's when we begin to feel fearful. That's when we fret, when we believe we've lost control. <clears throat> Here's another one. Some people are fearful when they're unsure because the future's unclean, unclear. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the diagnosis will say. I don't know how that situation at work or school, in a marriage, in a, in a relationship, I don't know how that's going to go. And sometimes when we're unsure of what tomorrow may bring, the response or the, 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 the feeling is fear. Some are fearful when they're unprepared. They're unprepared because the responsibility seems overwhelming. It's like maybe at one time we were looking forward to this, but now that we've gotten closer to it and it's gotten bigger and bigger. And listen, I have prayed with many a 25-year-old father over here at the Women's Center and seen fear all over his face. Because for the first time in his life, it's real. It's real. He understands now more clearly than ever, I have an 18 to 25-year responsibility to take care of this little baby. See? A lot of people are fearful when they believe they're unprepared. And then one last one I wrote down, um, I'm injured. I'm fearful because I'm injured. Someone close to me has betrayed me. I can't trust in anyone. If they'll betray me, if they'll hurt me, well, then what stops someone else from doing the same? If they, above all people, will gossip about me, talk about me, stab me in the back, I can't trust anyone. And the response is fear. See, fear is a cause and effect emotion. See, the cause, there is a cause, a circumstance, an event, uh, some kind of situation, there's a cause, and the effect is fear. And everybody who lives that fearful life 
tries to justify or validate themselves in that fear. It's as if, you know, you don't understand because you don't know I have cause to fear. The Bible never says that. The Bible never says, do not be afraid unless you have a really good reason. The Bible never says that. Remember when Jesus was with the disciples, they're in the boat, they're on the Sea of Galilee, and a storm comes up. And this old wooden vessel is tossing back and forth and back and forth. And the Bible says the disciples feared for their lives. They go down into the hold of that ship. They're looking for Jesus. And what's he doing? He's sound asleep. They wake him up. First thing he says to them, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? First words out of his mouth. Not, oh, I understand the storm. It is pretty bad. I get where you're coming from. No. It's why are you so f- afraid? Why are you fearful? Question comes to mind, why is fear dangerous and why is God opposed to it? Why does God say, don't do it? Well, I think it's because anything that replaces our obedience, our simple reliance upon God weakens our faith. Anything. And by the way, those could be good things. Financial security is a good thing. Life insurance is a good thing. A second job, that's a good thing. Money in the bank, that's a good thing. But anything that replaces my simple obedience, my reliance, my trust in God weakens our faith. See, a reason to fear is a reason to to, to doubt. And fear is the enemy of faith. And yet faith is the way to God. Think about that. Fear is faith's enemy. And yet according to Hebrews chapter 11, among other passages, faith is the only way to please God. So if fear is the enemy of faith, and faith is the only way to please God, then I've got to figure out a way to get a handle on the fear. See, the stronger your faith, the fewer your fears. The simpler your faith, the fewer your fears. The more you know about God, the more you can overcome your fear. Here's the, uh, the important lesson for today. It's, it's, it's pretty simple. I put it in the program. Let me put it on the screen. When I understand God's cause, now, don't misunderstand, I'm not talking about his plan. His plan is part of his cause, but his cause encompasses his character, his nature, his ways, what God is about, what motivates God. That's God's cause. When I understand God's cause, fear becomes an inappropriate emotion. You realize if you know the story, when the angel shows up, the first reaction is fear. The shepherds were terrified. By the end of the story, man, they've gone away praising God. They're celebrating in anticipation of seeing the baby for themselves. Well, what brought about the change? They began to understand the cause of God. The angel explained it to them. Unto you, to you, even the least of you, you shepherds, a Savior has been born, and he's Christ the Lord. The glory of God gave those shepherds reason to fear. And I guarantee you, based upon what I understand the scripture to say, if one of God's messengers appeared in this auditorium, every one of us would fear it at first sight. Angels are imposing awesome forces in the universe. Any mere mortal is rightly frightened if we saw one. But here's what I want you to see. Should an angel show up in your life or mine, as the angel did in the fields outside of Bethlehem, you need to understand this angel wasn't coming to judge. Oh, we have a reason to fear God. The Bible says 
Not the first advent, that's Christmas, but at the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. He is coming as judge, and the world will fear him. Do you realize if God or one of his messengers showed up in my life, private, just a a, a one-on-one viewing, my first response would be, this is extremely out of the ordinary. If If this is God, and he's coming to balance the scales, I'm in trouble. But that's not the reason the angel came. In fact, the scripture makes it clear. It wasn't, I'm coming to judge. It's, I'm coming to show grace. Think about this for a second. When the angel appeared to the shepherds and their first response was fear, the angel made it clear that God's cause is to put his unrestrained grace on display for the whole world to see. And once the shepherds understood that, They went away singing and praising God and telling everybody they saw. You see, the Bible makes it clear one day he will come to judge. And if you, listen carefully, are not covered, shielded, sealed in his grace by his spirit, you should fear him. But those of us who have embraced authentic faith in the risen son of Jesus Christ... And we live with the intention of honoring him. That demonstrates the authenticity of our faith. The Bible says it's grace in which we live. It's grace in which we operate. It's grace that saves us. When the angel showed up in those fields outside of Bethlehem, he was not to announce judgment is coming. He was to announce grace is coming. And you and I can receive that same invitation. Again, when I understand the cause of God, what motivates him, his character, his nature, his ways, then fear seems an inappropriate emotion. Now, if you are the kind of person who's living in fear, I I leave you with just a couple of thoughts. Number one, you need to see it for what it is. Fear is not your friend. Fear may gain you sympathy from your friends and those around you, but fear is not your friend. Listen to me. Fear will take everything from you and give you absolutely nothing. Fear is responsible for other powerfully destructive emotions like anger, resentment, bitterness, rage even. So see fear for what it is. Fear is not something to play with, not something to toy with. Here's number two. Ask God for his help. You know, God says that the Christ follower has nothing to fear because we're sealed, we're covered by his grace. Have nothing to fear. Do you know that unlike the judgment the world will see one day, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I will never be judged for my sin? They've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's grace. Ask God for his help. You may feel like you have a good reason to fear. That does not discount the fact that God says don't do it. Don't do it because it's harmful in so many other ways and areas in your faith walk. Here's number three. Focus on your mission. Focus on your mission. What does God want to do with my simple, ordinary life? What must these shepherds have pondered in the moments following the appearance of that angel? What does God want with me? I'm a simple, ordinary, plain, run-of-the-day man. Why would God reveal anything to us? Because he's your father, because he loves you, because over and over the scripture makes it plain. God has a program, he has a plan, and he wants you involved. Now, if you're simply trying to survive or get by, if you believe that you have good reason to fear, if 
If, if, if as a younger person you, you fear a relationship, or, or as a marriage ages you fear a breakup, or, or, or as a middle-aged person you fear old age, or as an older-aged person, a senior adult, maybe you fear retirement or you fear death. Uh, if you're the person that's just sort of managing to get by, you believe you have good reason, understandable reason to fear, maybe you need a better understanding of God's cause in your life. You see, because the reality is, if you're living not to lose, then you're living in fear, plain and simple. But if you're trying to win, then you're living in faith. And there's a grave distinction between the two. Let me say that again. If you are trying simply not to lose, then you're living in fear. Now, think about that regarding career, regarding money and finances, regarding your relationship with others, your marriage, et cetera, et cetera. If you're holding on for dear life, simply trying not to lose, you're living in fear. If you're trying, however, to win, you're walking in faith. Uh, when I was 10 years old, we lived sort of out in the outskirts of the city. And one street over from my house, there were three boys, two brothers and their buddy, Colin, Gerald, and Johnny. Now, they were two or three years older than I was. I was 10. They were 12 and 13. And I knew that if I ever saw them by myself on my bicycle on their road, I was in for a beating. Because I never could fight them or take them on one at a time. It was always three against one. And like I said... I might have been big for my age, but they had two and three years on me. So every time I was over there, I was careful, and I was fearful, and I was uh, uh, sober and alert because I was looking around, making sure that if I, if I saw them, I could get out of there. When they came down my road, I made sure to stay in my yard because if we ever started exchanging words, I was going to come home with a black eye. I was going to come home with a bloody lip or a bloody nose. It was just a fact of life. That's the way it was. Until one day, I was standing in our front yard. Dad had given, him, given me a rake, and we were out doing kind of father-son kind of yard chores. And here they came down the road, two of them on a bicycle and one of them on a minibike. They're driving down the road, and I say, here we go. Here we go. If I, if I ignore them, maybe they'll go away. Surely they're not going to beat me up right in front of my house, what I told myself. Okay? They stopped. Sure enough, we began to exchange words. The words got sharper. The insults got, you know, more clever. Uh, I know you are, but what am I? That's what you do when you're 10, Right? And I thought, I'm in for a beating. I'm in for a beating. It's going to happen. Until my father stepped out on the front porch. He stepped out on the front porch, and he put his hand on the rake like this, and he just looked at us. Now, what dad communicated to me in that moment was, I got this, son. I won't let this get out of hand. If you want to take them, take them. I'll be here to keep it fair. That's what he said. That's what I felt. At that moment, I believed I could take them all three. But I chose one, Colin, because he was the biggest, and he was the meanest, and he was the leader of that group. And I walked straight up to him and punched him in the mouth, and he bled immediately. We went at it. You know how kids wrestle. You know, you're down on the ground, you're all just kind of like, Arr! I'll kill you. <laughs> That's all there was to it. You know, a few blows got exchanged, but that was about it. After Dad watched us go at it for a while, and I had proven myself because Johnny nor Gerald got involved because my father was standing just feet away, he pulled us apart. At that moment, I knew the only reason I attacked at that time my enemy, the only reason I stood up for myself was because I knew my father was looking. My father was watching. Listen, in 2018, your father's going to be watching every move you make, every circumstance that comes your way. And like my father, he's trying to communicate with you. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. I know that's not what you wanted to hear from the doctor. I know that. 
but it's going to be okay. I know the waves are crashing over the side of the boat, but it's going to be okay. When we know more of God and his cause, fear becomes less and less an acceptable response. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of of your word and being able to read it and how clear something like do not be afraid is over and over and over again throughout it. Father, thank you for the story of the shepherds. I pray, God, that we might learn from it. In one moment, they're terrified. In the next, they're rejoicing. And the only difference between the two moments in time is their understanding of your cause, of who you are, what you're about, what you're attempting. God, I pray that you would open our eyes this year, this week even, to your plan, your cause, your character, your nature. Father, may we, may we live without fear. May we live in faith, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, Grace Community Church. Fantastic to see you. Y'all have a happy new year. I'll see you next time.